Thank you for downloading the Christ Central Church sermon for January 19th, 2014. There were some technical difficulties at the beginning of the sermon, so the very first part of it was missed, but most of it is there. The scripture reading is Nehemiah 10, 28-39. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our Lord and his rules and his statutes. We will not give our daughters to the people of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if the people of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. We the priests, the Levites, and the people have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God according to our Father's houses at times appointed year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Also, to bring to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and of our flocks, and to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil, to the priests, to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our towns and where we labor. And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes, and the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers, where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister, and the gatekeepers and the singers, we will not neglect the house of our God. This is the word of the Lord. To put our lives on the line for what we don't have and cannot deliver on in our promises. God will not be our spiritual loan shark. When we make promises... In declarations, oh God, I promise to change. I promise to do better. Oh Lord, I repent to stop sinning to do better. It's actually about taking his promises and saying to him, okay, we promise to be promised by you, God. We promise to let your promises live in us and through us 
and be who we are. And according to this passage, when Christians talk about repentance and, and turning from sin and, and we, we get sorry for what we do and we promise real change to live holy and proper lives, it is basically promising God to live blessed, to enter his rest, and to offer him his best. Now, I usually go with alliteration, you know, to help y'all get the points, remember the points. And I, I usually stay away from simple rhyme. You know, I found out hip-hop in the 80s. You know, it was simple back then. I try to stay away from simple rhyme because it could be corny and God's not to be toyed with or made to be simple. But this is what we got today, okay? We must promise to live blessed, enter his rest, and offer him his best. Look at these verses we have here, beginning with verse 28, going to verse 29 in chapter 10. It says this, join, nope, the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gate peoples, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, the Lord our Lord, and his rules and his statutes. These Israelites are promising. They're, they're making an oath. They're renewing a holy contract to be people who obey the law of God, the Ten Commandments, and live out what that means in this world. And in doing so, uh, they are agreeing to, to be a people who are identified as those who exclusively obey and are called to obey God's word, unlike any other people group in the world. And that promise to obey has this harsh-sounding line in verse 29. Join with their brothers and nobles and enter into a curse. A curse. You see, the word covenant or promise can be translated as promise or the word cut, as in cut a deal. You see, back then in, in the day when they would make covenants or contracts or promises to each other, they would cut an animal in half and, and hold hands and walk through the entrails and blood and guts together. And it would declare in essence, let me be like this poor cursed animal, or I am like this poor cursed animal in character and heart if and when I break my promise. Curse means to swear. Some of you might be too young to know this, but back in the day, you couldn't, I couldn't say the word lie or call someone a liar. Don't you say the word lie. It was considered a cuss word because it was a curse to not keep your word. Cursing here is swearing, like saying, I'll be darned if I ever don't or do this, right? I'll be cursed if I don't and when I don't obey God, which means we promise to not live as a cursed people, but a blessed people. And to live blessed and, and promise to live blessed means you promise to be kept and cared for by God's rule and by God's law, by God's truth, by God's word. Verse 29 describes being blessed as walking and being able to walk in God's law. When we advertised our home for rent last year, we knew that it was important to put on the ad, 
fenced-in backyard. And when people came, they were excited. They would even walk through the house all the way. I'm like, look at the fridge. They walking all the way to the back. Look at this nice fenced-in backyard, right? And, and, and first, it, they liked the fence because it would discourage intruders. It would have a nice, comfortable boundary. We suburbanites, now I'm a suburbanite, we know what this is, with people around you. But for many and most, it was about their dogs, right? Especially the people who live around here, they take their dogs everywhere. Do you have a place for my dog? Sure. Pay that extra deposit fee, you can have a place for your dog. They wanted their dogs, you know, they wanted them to be free. What? Free to run around and safely enjoy them in the world and not be tied up or in a kennel or, or, or run off or get lost or lifted or worse, hit by a car. Right? For God, it was not his dog, but his people he had in mind. And blessing them with a law to keep them in, safe and free and protected. And we are called to be and therefore promised to be a blessed people by being kept by it in the blessing of God's law, the freedom and protection of God's fence of relationship around us, to be a group. Lord, we promise we've, we've strayed off. We've, we've forgotten the fence. We've lived outside of it. And now we promise to be a group that is no longer marked and blighted by the intrusions and spiritual roadkill of lying and stealing and jealousy and murder and hatred and adultery and abusive and insecure homes and families and and Cultic visitors selling us false religion. You are a blessed people if you know the Lord because your way, your walk, your life has the blessing of being kept and guided for your own good by the safety of God's holy ways. Which means God's people is blessed are promising to be separate and be different than the cultures and motivations of the people around them. Look with me at verse 30. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land and take their daughters for our sons. Giving your sons and daughters was a way to move up in the world. Now, now, know this was forbidden by God's law, and also keep in mind that they were the minority at the time. So if you wanted to be blessed in the world sense, you would give your daughters back and forth between families to be married, because marriage was a lucrative contract with dowries and all that stuff. It was a way to move up in the world and be able to enter into the good old boys network you married in. But... God's people were saying, we are promising. We've done this in the past. We did wrong when we did it. And we are promising to be cursed and sweared out and even left out by the world in order to live blessed. Those who are kept and keep the law of holiness and relationship with the most high, most uppity God and father the world has ever known and won't allow his children to be married to whoever they want to be. Now, in our day and age, it may not be the marriage-giving thing. But you believers are blessed and should have the promise of God's blessing. We, we don't like this today, right? We want to be relevant. Let me just give an aside here. Man, when I left seminary, 
the coolest thing was being a cool Christian, a relevant Christian, one that could just hang out in the world and be like everybody else. And I'm looking at the scripture this week, and I'm like, I don't like what God is saying here. Words like separate and, and, and concepts like fences and, and following the law of God and, and obeying and, and obedience and words like that. And, and I'm thinking, man, the new Christianity is about being free. And, and, and you look at us and we're no different than the world because we're cool, right? We're, we're incognito believers. I can be a good incognito believer. It's easy and it's fun. But the Bible is saying that we should have the promise of God's people, the blessing to separate and resist the call to get ahead, to be accepted, to be secure, and appear through undignifying and appear great through undignifying, ungodly, and broken ways. Just trying to keep up with and trying to live and by driven and being driven like the Joneses, right? Like everyone else in their apparently non-pressure, free from rules, look like the cool kind of people in school, right? Non-legalistic, fairly economically and socially and intellectually lucrative lifestyles, sleeping with anybody, drinking and smoking anything, going everywhere, being entertained by any means necessary and available with no kind of holy guidance but happiness convenience, and what we declare as the world's common sense. The scripture is saying those who believe in the Lord, who turn to him and back to him, swear, we vow, we curse, we say to our Lord, we could give a you-know-what with what the Joneses are doing and what the world considers common sense. We promise, we curse to be kept and reserved by God because that's what and who we are if we are blessed to be his. But not only that, not only are we free to promise to live blessed, but we repent. We promise to enter his rest. Look with me at verse 31. And if the peoples of the land, these all the nations around them that don't believe in, in their God in the way they do, bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell. We will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day, and we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. That word almost had me right there. They didn't teach that in my school. The Sabbath day of rest was a day for Israelite believers where they would not engage in any selfish, self-benefiting work and stop to take a break, um, take time, a break, to worship the Lord or participate in other holy community kinds of things. Their Sabbath was, was similar to our Sundays now, where we go to church and unless you must, you abstain from as much work to focus on holy things, to appreciate and enjoy God and his goodness. 
And then this concept of Sabbath for them was also applied to what is described here as a seventh year, the seventh year rest where they would not work on or manage or reap or farm their properties for the whole year during that seventh year. And then that year, the poor could go in your yard and eat the fields freely, and you were required to only eat from the extra that was harvested during year six. And then if there were debts or people paying off debts, they would all be let go and forgiven so that folks no longer had to live bearing the debt or paying off debts through enslavement. They, like believers today, were a promised people. Promise rest and relief from God. But like our world today, things don't slow down on the Sabbath. With the other nations around them, folks from other nations were, 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 were wheeling and dealing on a Sabbath. And, and a full seven-year break, you got to be kidding me. And so God's people were tempted and had fallen into with the, with the rat race, workaholic, unholy worldview. It became a community of works instead a community of rest. And God had so much better for them in his rest. You know what rest is for and about? what they were promising God. Rest was a promise. There's a promise to get relief from being overtaken and depressed and controlled by work, despair, and desperation, and to be in a place and a people to receive and trust God's goodness for them. Have you ever thought about, do you know what work and just having to, to, to make it in this broken world, broken world does to us and has done to us? Because of sin in the world, the Bible tells us that all people would have to work hard in this world to eat and live and be clothed. The Bible describes it as the ground being hard to cultivate, and there will be thorns and thistles making it hard to harvest and get what you have worked for. That work will be hard and hard on us. Just think about the wear and tear of working and struggling to survive in this world and what it has done and means to us, work can and has meant humiliation, a false sense of worth and security, dignity loss, relationship straining and breaking, self-centered, self-promoting, hungry, cannibalistic, dog-eat-dog competitiveness, fear and failure, hopelessness, firings, let go, downsize, forced retirement, outsource, shoe-licking, ring-kissing, brown-nosing debasements, selling and embracing false hopes, taking a gamble, family strain and breaking, burnout, worthlessness, overemployed, overworked, breakdowns, unfulfilled, glass ceiling, right? Being the boy or the girl, feeling and being accused of being the family cow, maid, and cook. And when those things take root or come up, when we work and, or can't find work, it is easy to sin and feel the weight of sin in that. To do it like the world does it. To work in ways that make you abandon God's rest. And I am not just talking about just Sunday and coming to church, though I'm not talking about any less than that. It is about entering into a relationship with God that says, and all that I have, don't have, succeed in, or don't succeed in, I promise to rest ultimately and finally in the reality that you, God, are my sense of worth. 
God's people are a people who are promised and promising to not be controlled or defined or destroyed or driven by what they can have or make happen or earn or get or save or store or invest or spend and buy. And so he calls us to a lifestyle, a a routine that that makes room away from work, away from a life that, for a life that takes a break and breaks for God's pouring in and reminding and, and reinforcing his promises to us through his word and prayer by taking time to, 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 to have holy re, reaffirming, reset, and recalibration. And it gives us relief and breaks from the lies and brokenness and temptations to sin that the unresting desperation and despair of work and living can bring. And it reminds us and, and keeps us from sin by making us stop and experience that God has promised and alone should be trusted to care for us, to be our father, to be our hope in a barren and hard to find purpose and worth in world. Promise, people, to enter into the rest of God so you can find your God and be found in him and know yourself and your purpose once again. Go to and get into a place in a time of rest, worship service being a major one, but a place in times that is not about earning it or being worth it, but being anything but like you should be at work. God's rest is being punch drunk, right? Carried, incompetent, sloppy, slouchy, with childlike, obnoxious, tactless confidence, not having it together, poorly prepared, and smashing and pressing into God's restful and loving arms in that place where God is and is working to serve and comfort you, giving out grace and mercy freely. Go to a place like the poor do on year seven, where your debts are forgiven, and the boss, who is God in this case, is not demanding anything of you to get all the affirmation and promise that he promises to give you. Promise to go there, especially my men. We talk about it at the men's group in the morning. Promise to make time to be there and execute it on a daily daily basis in some way, weekly at church and personal prayer times. I think for you who are in school right now, you need to not work on Sunday. Don't do homework on Sundays. Did Pastor Brown just make a legalistic statement? Sort of. I remember I used to wait till 9 o'clock after fame went off on Sunday night to do my homework. I try to tell my boys, get it done on Saturday. Because on Sunday, Daddy, who are you going to go hang out with today? How long is church going to be today? It's time to rest, but we got homework. We need to rest. Shoot, parents, when they got homework, we can't rest. Daddy, the computer don't work. Can you put in the passcode? Daddy, I got this. Daddy, can I have a pen? Can I have a pencil? God knows you need rest. And what we've done is we've sinned against God's blessing of rest. 
Because we live a life that says you have to earn it, that you have to be worth it, and that there is no place anywhere that unless you provide it, God can't. Right? You need to go to a place where it's totally saying, God is my provision. God is my goodness. God gives me all good things. We eat, we sleep, we drive it, we live in it because God has given it. And unless you take a rest and have a heart that rests in who God is, you'll never experience that goodness. promise to enter the rest that God has promised and offered his people so you can be sure and able to offer God his best. Look with me at verse 32. It's the long part. This is what they're promising. We also take our, ourselves, take on ourselves the obligation of get, to give yearly a third part of the shekel for the service of the house of our Lord. For the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sing offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites, the people, have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to, to bring it into the house of our God according to our Father's houses at, at times appointed year by year to, to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Also to bring to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and, and of our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and of our flocks, and to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the, the fruit of every true, the tree, the wine and the oil, to the priests, to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground. For it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all the towns where we labor." And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes. And the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes to the house of our Lord, to the chambers of the storehouse. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi, Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers. We will not neglect the house of our Lord. You know, they had a temple there that they built, they rebuilt, and we, we read about that in Ezra. And that temple, what it was is a satin operated there on, on the highest place in Jerusalem, the holy city. It represented God's highest, best, most intense presentation of his person, character, and ways. In fact, again, it sat on a hill, and it said, God with us. And God's people were a blessed people. The city was called a holy city because they were graced and blessed by God being and living and ministering among and in the community. And it is the blessed people of God who alone are called and promised to bless the Lord with the best that God had given them. This is a call to re-gift, right? Re-gift to God. It makes me think of when my kids want to buy us a present. Daddy, 
I want to buy you a present for Christmas. Can you give me some money? And daddy, what do you want? Okay, here's my money. This is what I want. And they go get it. Isn't that the greatest gift? This is what it means to bless the Lord with his best, right? It, it is God blessing you and saying, here, here's some money. And I know when I give my boys, if I give them $20 for a gift for me, $10 going to go to McDonald's, $5 going to go to Auntie Annie's pretzel place, and I'm going to get $5 worth of something, Right? It, 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 you think about what a tithe is and these people being asked to offer God. It's 10%, but it's the first. So if they buy my $5 gift first, that's $15 for them to enjoy themselves, right? But it says something. It says something. When you eat after, you get my gift, right? Well, well, what, what's going on here is God's people were a blessed people. It's, it's, it's taking what you have, which is, all God, which is all given by God if you're blessed, and giving your best of it to him. This is clear when we see the words that we just read, first, first fruit, firstborn, and it's substance like wine and oil. And they were promising to no longer, because they'd done it before, withhold God's best from blessing him. And in this case, it meant supporting the work of the temple so that God's people could more easily and freely enjoy him. The temple needed resources, the priests and the Levites, the reverends and the pastors of the day. They had to eat and live, and it was up to God's people to make this happen, to bring their best and first to God so that his ministry to them could flourish, to tithe, to bring offerings, to work, to serve. Let this be a good application for being one of the 18 people signing up to help set up and take down. As a Protestant trained at a Reformed seminary, Covenant seminary, not Reformed seminary, Covenant seminary. Just kidding. No, I'm not. We do everything... As Protestants, especially historically Reformed confessional Protestants, we do everything we can to stay away from words like indulgences, bad words. Or, you know, in an oversimplified definition that most of us have learned as proud Protestants about our Catholic brothers and sisters is paying restitution and reparation for the sins that have been committed. Why? Because when we sin, we have done damage to our heart, others and offended and slandered the name of God in some way. This is true in any court case. You are paying damages with indulgences, right? And when I further research indulgences, though, the word actually means to be kind, to express release from prison or captivity, to signify, to act out the mercy and goodness of God. It means to be gratuitous, grateful, and indulgent to someone you are appreciative of. The promise 
to give the best is a promise to bless the Lord, to indulge the Lord, to express the thanks and benefits of blessings of being a people freed from captivity, to be a people who are recipients of the goodness of God, to say, thank you, God. I really am grateful. I wouldn't have or be anything if it weren't for your mercy and grace. So just take something as a token of my thanks, but the first of my best and my utmost for your highest. Understand, these Israelites were repenting for being self-indulgent and withholding appreciation for how God blessed them, for being ungrateful. Some of us reserve our best worship for football games. Or our best energy and emotions for Monday morning work. Or working out. Or online arguments or yelling and fussing at each other in our best voice and singing for in the car or shower. We don't bless the Lord. Some of us are so reserved in our worship on Sunday morning and our giving to the church and our service in the ch- God's church. Yeah, the institution. And that is why the, what these folk are repenting of. They failed to be grateful and express gratitude to indulge God for who he was and how he had given. And it is time that we like they did in promising to give their first attention and best to God's ministry to bless the Lord. Come to God believing, acting like you really did mess some stuff up. That you do believe your sin was graffiti on the temple-like holiness of God. I mean, did the Lord show you mercy? Bless the Lord, right? Did the Lord offer you grace and forgiveness? Bless the Lord. Did the Lord give your sin what it deserves? No. Bless the Lord. Do you have anything? Yeah, anything, a life, an arm, an eye. Indulge. Bless the Lord in the work and worship of his church and people to the best of your God-giving ability. Bring it and you and offer it all to the Lord. I say it again, bless the Lord. We look at these offerings in this passage, they are all being given to the temple as sin, relationship writing offering. And so the priests would have all they needed to make sure the relationship with God and his people was all good and right. We already talked about this, but do you know what I saw when I looked at the word bless? One of the definitions of bless is curse. We repent. When we repent, when we turn, we promise to not only bless the Lord, but let the Lord be cursed for us. Look back at verse 36 with me. Also to bring to the house of our Lord, so the priests, to the priests who minister in the house of our Lord, of our God, the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and our flocks, and to bring the first of our dough and our contribution, the fruit of every tree, the wine and oil to the priest, to the chambers of the house, our God. Stop right there. Now you see about bringing the firstborn son, right, of our sons. You see son here. For their sin going back to Egypt days was the death of the firstborn, 
right? But God was taking the first and best of everything else, animals and fruits and whatever else, to redeem, to pay for the life and rightness of the son that God expected to be sacrificed for their sin. It was a sin debt payment. It was a substitute payment for your life, for sin, for you. The firstborn being taken. Let me jump to the chase here. They got blessed with new life forgiveness. They were a blessed people because the lamb died and was cursed on the altar. Bless the Lord. Those in Christ are blessed and not cursed. Because Christ, the blessed, only begotten, best son of God, was cursed by the Father God for our sin so that we can stand blessed, upright, stand clean and clear and holy and okay and enjoying God and and blessed in this world so that we could promise and be a people of promise because God promised to curse, to covenant his son so that you and I can live in the promise of the gospel. Bless the Lord for that. So we come here in worship and in our private lives to promise to hope and seek and give our hearts and mind and time for the gospel. Lord, please take all that I am, all my sin, all my problems, all my misconceptions, all these things in my lives, and please bless me. And as you do so, we know it's only because you have cursed Christ. God was cursed for you and me. So bring your best repentance and brokenness to him. When we promise, therefore, to repent, to turn, to keep the gospel before us and in us. We promise to let Jesus be condemned and cursed for our blessing to be God's promised people, to be a people who are free because of Jesus, to promise to be promised.